0: This episode brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and can help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $779 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Not available in all states.
1: If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched
0: true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcasts. Before we begin this episode, which was recorded in early 2020, we want to provide you with an unrelated update. In Season 11, The Victims of Samuel Little, Part 3, we covered the case of the Dade County Jane Doe, a victim who had remained unidentified for nearly 40 years. Samuel Little confessed to her murder in 2018. During the same period, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation had created a forensic reconstruction of the victim based on her remains. Little had expressed a dislike for the reconstruction, but the family of a woman named Patricia Parker thought that the clay bust looked like their relative, who'd been out of contact for decades. This past Friday, October 8, 2020, the GBI held a press conference. Through a DNA comparison with her now adult son, they have confirmed the Dade County Jane Doe's identity as Patricia Parker. Our thoughts are with the family of Ms. Parker. We hope that all the unsolved and unmatched cases covered in the series can see similar conclusions. <laughs> This is The Fall Line. We recently had a chance to speak with Monica Kaysen, the founder of the Q Center for Missing Persons. Q, or Community United Effort, is a North Carolina-based organization dedicated to helping the families of missing persons. According to their website, they have, quote, provided advocacy for missing children and adults, free professionally trained search personnel and victim support services. Q has, quote, helped over 12,000 families as they struggled through the often confusing and always fraught experience of looking for a loved one. We were made aware of Q through our friendship with Donna Green, who is a missing persons advocate in her own right. Donna, who runs the Raymond Green International Outreach of Hope and hosts a radio show, Spotlight on the Missing, was featured in our third season. Her son, Raymond, was kidnapped as a newborn, and she received no support. She spent her life trying to change that experience for other people. Donna's schedule made her unable to record for this episode, but she sent us a statement to share regarding her experience with Q. Here's what Donna said. The Q Center really made me feel like they cared about Raymond and the injustice that was done to him. When I first met Monica, she took the time out to talk to me, and she gave me as much time as I needed. She took on this case and treated it like it was her son that was missing. Over the years, I've gotten to know Monica, and I'd like to say she just gave Raymond's case that special attention, but that would not be true. She gives every case her attention. I feel very blessed to know Monica, and I consider her a friend. It's a great thing to have her fighting with us to bring our loved ones home. Monica's organization is extremely hands-on. They help establish or repair communication between families in law enforcement, bring in experts for searches, and aid families in the most effective means of boosting cases via social media. Monica doesn't just run Q. She's an active participant in searches and works on the ground with trained teams and police liaisons. Q began as a support organization, but has gradually grown into much, much more. For Monica, a lifelong community volunteer, this was a natural shift. It was a cause that she felt didn't receive enough attention. Now, more than 25 years into her work, she has consulted on cases throughout the Southeast. In many ways, she was inspired by a loss she witnessed in her own hometown in the early 1980s, the disappearance of a young woman named Melinda Harder. In this interview, we asked Monica to talk to us about her organization and how regular people can help. And we also asked her a few questions about the case of the Millbrook twins, who we covered in season one of The Fall Line.
1: There are a lot of citizens out there with an interest in true crime. You frequently see them on Facebook leaving little comments and messages. If there are listeners who have an interest in helping, people's families who have been victims of crime. How do you go from just a person who thinks, oh yeah, that's an interesting area I would want to work in, to being able to actually make it happen? You are a person who has made it happen. Can you explain how?
2: Well, you know, if you have an interest in in trying to help people, that, that was my first and foremost over the crime aspect or anything. I was wanting to help people um, because I saw the pain and agony that once they made the missing persons report, they would go home and sit and wait for that phone call. And it's like, there has to be something in between they can do and some way we can help them. So that was kind of my thought process and, you know, to bridge that gap until, you know, we can help law enforcement by getting that awareness out there, so forth, so on. But as far as the general person, I mean, you know, volunteer, volunteer with a good sound organization that will educate you, on the proper things that you need to know and if you want to go further educate yourself there's plenty of free courses there are plenty of online courses there are plenty of courses in your community that you're probably unaware of until you begin searching once you get in with a group that is in tune with training and and how to to get further along <clears throat> whether it be handling a dog whether it be um you know search and recovery whether it be just volunteering events whatever um, they can help lead you and, and direct you in, you know, hey, there's a free training coming up. You know, it's only an hour away, but, you know, it's, it's nine hours that day. You'll get a certificate and it'll teach you on the behaviors of suicide or Alzheimer's or whatever it is. Um, because in order to get involved in missing person work, um, you know, you have to understand all the ways people become missing and all the ways there are to try to find them. And that changes every year. There are new additions constantly of from technology to just, you know, your gut to um, training that you might get, um, elite training somewhere from another expert, another thing to add to your toolbox, if you will, to try to recover somebody.
1: So that seems to like put together both a curiosity of like wanting to learn and, but mm-hmm. also a real care of, of wanting to help people. Have you like always had that part of your personality since you were little?
2: Um, I think so. I was always, you know, someone <clears throat> if I found a hurt animal. I was the one that brought it home <laughs> or a hungry animal or, you know, people, <laughs> hungry people. Um, you know, I was uh, brought up in a, well, the younger years of my life, you know, the perfect you know, three-story home patent leather shoes, go to school, you're always clean, baseball, you got your allowance on Sunday, you know. Um, I was one out of 11 children with mom and dad at home, and everybody we knew had two parents, you know, and and everybody we knew were involved in the same things that we were, and it was just a, I would say, all-American household family, if you will. Um, and then my parents divorced in a time that it just was unheard of. And, you know, we got shunned, You know, from a lot of different aspects in our life because now we were different. Um, And then, you know, the four little kids, all my older siblings, either went in the military or got married or moved out with friends or what have you because they were all old enough to, to start making decisions on their own. So they call us the four little ones. We were still at home and we were young, you know, in grade school. And my mom ended up, you know, moving on 17th Street South in Florida. And, you know, we started fighting you know, literally like third day we moved in our house, um, you know, getting beat up. We had to learn how to fight. We had to learn how to, you know, get along. We, we were shell-shocked because this life wasn't, um, you know, our kind of life that we were raised in. We were unaware. um, And I think I just started uh, understanding, you know, other people's problems and, and eventually, you know, made friends. And when we moved out of the neighborhood, you know, I kept in touch with a lot of those people and, And then we moved into, you know, a semi mixture of a neighborhood, you know, you know, struggling families, older people, uh, bikers, things of that sort. And, you know, um, because my mom was a working mother, we're pretty much just on the street all the time, um, you know, with other families, you know, grabbing a bite to eat here and there or um, just hanging out, really nothing to do. And you know, we got in a little bit of trouble here and there and stuff. And, uh, you know, but we all end up making it, you know, I go back to those neighborhoods today and it's crazy how, you know, every time I go, I'll hear five more people have died in some kind of violence or drug overdose or, mm-hmm. or something or car wreck. And it's, it's always, you know, and then the few are like, you you made it, you got out, you know, and it's, and they're proud, they're proud to know you and stuff. And I never thought I'd be that kind of person, you know? um, that they were, they would be proud of, but I, I learned early on, you got to care about people. You got to care about, you know, family and, and, uh, animals and, you know, all those kind of things. So we were always, you know, we never had much after the divorce for a long, long time. Um, but whatever we had, we tried to give, you know, like I said, I was always the one bringing home a dog or a stray kid that, you know, was a runaway or, <laughs> you know, whatever it was, um, yeah. was trying to help.
1: I think, I feel like that's what is so valuable about the perspective that you bring. There can be a time when it feels like one side against each other. I think bridging that gap and bringing the community together, you know, that's the organization you started, it's community united effort, not one right. against the other.
2: Well, and you have to you have to lose judgment. Um, you know, I have heard probably more times than I've heard my kids call me mom. Um, how maybe somebody wasn't as worthy to put forth the effort to either find or, or worry about, if you will, because maybe they have a drug addict, you know, drug passed or, um, you know, got pregnant at 14 or, or whatever the, you know. But, but what people, doesn't know, people don't understand is that that happens somewhere in their life. Everything that we become as an adult came from somewhere we were when we were younger, And whether it's the pain we bring along, whether it's the good feelings, whether it's the training, whether it's religion, our faith, so forth, so on. Everything that we bring into our adulthood came from somewhere uh, as a child. And a lot of things, um, I always say people get lost before they get missing, a lot of the people that we look for. And that's that's not a crime. That's not something to judge them on. You know, we can't say... Oh, they're just a drug addict because they made that choice. They don't know because some people were molested at 13, were raped at 15, had a kid at 16, ended up moving in with grandma and then had to steal to help grandma out. Um, And then next thing you know, ended up in a drug problem, you know, with a drug problem and began prostitution. And then lo and behold, they get into that wrong vehicle one night. So does that make them not worthy to look for? You know, and why are we judging that? We don't know you don't know until you've walked in someone's shoes, and I've seen all these things um you know, I experienced you know the first murder, if you will, at eleven years old in our community, and it was crazy. um you know kids my age shouldn't be exposed to that kind of violence and crime and seeing the drug deals and seeing things going on and and whatnot, so you know. It's just insane how people judge, you know, oh, they had a drug problem. I mean, I've seen 44-year-old women that were accomplished nurses and had everything. Winnebago's, the whole nine yards, owned a home, you know, great kids, you know, raised their kids. And then all of a sudden, they end up for a back surgery. They become addicted to opiates. Next thing you know, they're emergency room hopping. Next thing you know, they're a drug addict and they can't find their mom. You know, so... Is her life any less important or, or what have you than the 15 or 17-year-old that's lost and missing? Or, you know, am I more important than my neighbor if I get missing? You know, these are all, all things that bother me when people say, well, you know, um, and they judge because I was that kid growing up. You know, I was, if I'd have got missing when I was younger in my teens, I would have been that kid they spoke about. And so that's always bothered me. And I try to encourage all our volunteers and people educate yourself because everything starts from somewhere and people become missing because, yes, maybe they made some bad choices. Maybe they were in the you know, wrong place at the wrong time or what have you. But the point is they are missing. Somebody loves them. We need to find them and bring resolve. You know, we, we're not here to measure that out. We're not here to judge why. Um, We are here to bring a resolution to this unknown fate of this missing person and to bring back a piece of their heart to these families, whether it's alive, deceased, and sometimes partial remains.
1: That is such a valuable lesson. And sometimes it feels like the media underestimates their audience's ability to hear that message. Yes, Because there are people around the country saying that, but we don't really always see it on the news. Mm -hmm. And there are, like you said, a lot of victims from all different populations that go underreported because of factors in their life like that. And you had that experience when you were 11, right? And you sort of heard the reporting about your neighbor.
2: Well, 11 was, was the homicide. I was probably closer to um, coming out of my teenage years when Melinda got missing, if that's who you're speaking of, Melinda Harder. Oh,
1: I was thinking of Melinda. Yeah, I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, Melinda Harder, that was in the, the neighborhood I was telling you that was more mixture. And um, Melinda's mom, God, she was, she was amazing. She was first the only one that had a pool in the neighborhood. So, of course, that was the attraction for any of us <laughs> kids growing up. Um, and she was, a she, she had a, um, a nursing home rehabilitation center in her home, like it was built on an L shape. Mm -hmm. So she was able to stay home. So she was kind of like the in charge neighborhood mom. If something happened when all of our moms or whatever were working or dads weren't around or what have you, we'd kind of, you know, go to her. She always seemed to understand. Um, the woman had a passion for children period. Um, and, uh you know, we, you always went up to her back door and you knock and she'd always, you know, have a snack or something for you or a kind word. And when Melinda was oldest of of the three girls and Marlene and Melanie were her younger sisters who I hung around with and Melinda had, you know, three small children. And so you would, she'd always come right by our house because our, literally our house was right there on the sidewalk, our front porch when you'd sit there. And so, you know, you got to know people, but we always knew she was the sister and You know, we always wanted to to be like the older kids in the neighborhood anyway, but she seemed to have it together and she'd come around with her little red wagon and, you know, with the kids in the wagon, walk into her mom's house and stuff. And she'd always stop Mm. and talk to you and whatnot. And when she got missing, you know, right away, you know, she was judged. Well, she'd been out drinking or this or that. And I heard she smoked pot and, and what have you. And, you know, just the judgment started right away. And, and it, and it played out in the media. Like I remember reading, um, the newspaper and back then as a teenager reading the newspapers, you know, a miracle anyway. Um, (laughs) but that's all we had for information because the adults didn't talk about things, you know, (laughs) and you never wanted to bring it up to her mother or in front of her dad because you didn't want to upset them. But I watched her case destroy that family. You know, it introduced alcoholism, it introduced depression, it introduced her kids running wild, you know, everything was out of control. And, uh, you know, and it seemed like the whole neighborhood was like, had a theory of who it could be, you know, and because years later, there was a guy that lived right behind us and they found bodies buried in his backyard. There was another guy we hung out with Mm. that was, you know, in jail for murder and molesting kids up to like 60 Kids and I mean it was like all these people in our neighborhood. You know, you didn't have the tracking and stuff you have nowadays. That um, you know, you you feel blessed now because wow, I survived that. You know, I, I was at their house or I played in their yard or whatever. Um, but when she got missing, it you know it was tough. It was tough on everybody because everybody knew everybody. You know, all those kids, even if they were ten years older than us, they kind of looked out for little ones. And uh, you know, and she wasn't that much older, but you know, she was a young mother and and, you know, everybody went out, you know, that was of age or near age of drinking and stuff. There was little pubs and little, you know, rec rooms and stuff and it wasn't necessarily even a bar half the time. It was just like a rec room that, you know, they would drink at. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even selling, you know, drink. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so (laughs) it was just that kind of neighborhood And, and that case bothered me you know, all these years. And when I got into Missing Persons work, um, you know, she was one of those that I was like, God, if I could ever just go back and solve that case, it would be a, you know, a full circle for me. And and I remember it was in two thousand and five, um, I stopped by, you know, I had been in St. Pete, my hometown, and I had stopped by to see a couple of friends and the daughter of a detective who actually called me in quite a few times for delinquency and everything. Um, She still lived in the home. Everybody loved her dad, you know, even though he was a cop in the neighborhood. But um, so I just stopped by to say hi. And she goes, Oh my God, while you're here, you got to sign my reader's digest because I was in the reader's digest and I was like, Oh, whatever. And I signed it. And and we started talking and she goes, are you going to go by and see Miss Joan? I said, yeah, and that's Melinda's mom. And, and uh, she goes, why don't you solve that case? I don't understand. And I was like, I would love to. And she goes, well, I'm going to call her. I was like, don't you dare. Cause I always went by and saw her when I would come to town. If it wasn't just for 10 minutes, I'd stop and say hi. And I said, no, I don't want to, you know, bring anything up to her and upset her. And she goes, no, I'm calling her. Mm-hmm. So she gets on her phone standing right there. It was like all just, you know, spontaneously. And she's like, Hey, Monica's in town. She goes, oh, tell her to come see me. And she goes, I have a question. She goes, this is me asking. And she's like, You know, would you care if she looked at Melinda's case? She goes, oh my God, I've been waiting all these years to hear that. Mm. And so I was like that little 13 year old girl walking up to her back door, knocking on the door. And she had already had boxes, shoe boxes and stuff sitting out in the living room, pictures, articles, paperwork. I mean, just craziness, you know, anticipating my visit. And so I took it all with me and I told her, I said, I'm going to go make copies. It'll probably take me a few days. I went up to my sister's, lives a couple hours away. And I sat there for four days vegging, reading through everything she had, copying everything she had, writing. And I came out with 121 questions that were not answered in, in what I had, wow. just what I had.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So um, later in the week, I met with somebody else on the street corner that said, this is what police probably don't have. You might want to make copies and give to them. So next thing you know, I'm calling law enforcement. I'm asking them to reopen the case. I don't think they even remembered or knew about it. And they put some little girl on it that had never really done anything, a detective or and, um, and she was, had fire in her belly. I mean, yeah. she was, she took off with it. And unfortunately, um, it was her actions that got it to the part where we, we found Melinda, but, um, she ended up in a really bad car accident. And I mean, like almost lost her life oh and, um, was healing from all that, when all the This other detective shows up. We decide we're going to do a public awareness start all over again, you know, and and turn the the media negativity and, you know, and we did a, um, I I reached out to a forensic artist and she did an age progression and it was just purely for just to get a good story out about her. And we met at the old lake where we always, you know, went and hung out as kids and stuff. There's big banyan trees there and stuff. And um, I couldn't believe the amount of people that showed up for the candlelight vigil that we hosted. And it was a part of our road tour. And it was a rally stop that we planned. So we worked on it a couple months. Um, but in the meantime, I told the detective, I said, look, before we even start looking for Melinda again, I said, we have to get her case up to date, which is DNA. The one guy that lived in our neighborhood that had these bodies, there was two or three of them that never got ID'd. So anyway, long story short, she pushed that and got, you know, our girl's DNA, Melinda's DNA into CODIS. And so when we held this event. We had 16 by 20 posters that we were putting out with Melinda, how she looked then, Melinda, how we think she looked now, even though we weren't expecting ever to find her alive and just, you know, still missing that kind of thing. And so long story short, it was a detective from the same county, but a different police branch that had actually stopped to get coffee and said, wow, that that jawbone looks amazing, like my black female Jane Doe I have. And it bothered her so much that she came out to our candlelight vigil and yeah. asked about Melinda. And I told her then I said, well, our D- the DNA for our girls then is yours. And she goes, no. So she put her girl's DNA into the system. Now that was a 15 to 19 year old black female. They said she had never smoked, never uh, had a kid. Mm. So forth. So on. Melinda was Canadian white. You know, she was in her 20s. She had three kids and she smoked everything that could be smoked back then.
0: This episode brought to you by Progressive. Are you driving your car or doing laundry right now? Podcasts go best when they're bundled with another activity. Like Progressive home and auto policies, they're best when bundled too. Having these two policies together makes insurance easier and can help you save. Customers who save by switching their home and car insurance to Progressive save over $775 on average. Quote a home and car bundle today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $779 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Not available in all states.
3: Have you made the switch to NYX? Millions of women have made the switch to the revolutionary period underwear from NYX. That's K-N-I-X. Period panties from NYX are like no other, making them the number one leak-proof underwear brand in North America. See why millions are ditching disposable, wasteful period products and have switched to NYX. Go to knix.com and get 15% off with promo code TRY15. That's knix.com promo code TRY15 for 15% off life-changing period underwear. That's knix.com.
1: Can I ask you, like, when when you guys submitted that DNA, what... what- percentage of you was thinking it might be a match were you like oh this is probably not a match there's so many factors that don't line up or
2: I was leaning towards the girls in the backyard because one of them had one of those uh fan you know things that Melinda would wear around her head mm-hmm. I was leaning more towards that and so I was you know I really didn't give it I was hopeful but I I was more focused on you know we need to go we need to find out who these girls are in this guy's backyard.
1: Can you tell us about with. when you got that call confirming that it was a match?
2: Yeah. The detective's like, are you sitting down? I said, no. And she goes, you need to. And I sat down and, and she said, uh, the identification came through and it's Melinda. I'm like, what? And I mean, cause Melinda had at that point been missing 28 years, mm-hmm. eight years after she became missing, there was a body found, um, you know, under a place that we hung out under this uh, bridge area. Um, and, you know, they believed it to be a Ted Bundy homicide at the time. And, uh, you know, and that was, we never really thought it was her because nothing ever came out of it. And again, they said it was a black female, so forth, so on, but that's, uh, that's who she came out to be. And she was Canadian white, you know, and we were just, of course, they didn't have DNA back then and whatnot. Yeah. I really feel like that that's, you know, I don't know a hundred percent, but I feel that's the you know, in the corner wasn't alive to to go back and ask. and Nobody was pretty much in the case at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was, it was sad that she laid there for, you know, after eight years after she'd be become missing for 28 years total, but eight years into it after that, she laid, you know, there unidentified for all this time. And, you know, thank God we just, you know, open. Sometimes that's all it needs is just somebody to open up and say, Hey, there's something you can do in this case. You know, and, it, you know, there's no fingers pointed. I mean, technology moved a long ways. And, you know, and and it was just we tried to, you know, introduce her back to the public in a in a positive manner. And it worked. And we were very, very lucky.
1: Is it experiences like that that give you the energy to keep going and keep adding more families that you're going to be helping next, you know?
2: Well, any case that registers with our organization, you know we help um, It's not like we pick or choose any different cases um you know with Melinda's case, it just kind of fell into my lap and because it was my childhood friend i I took it on you know um and her mom did go through the process of getting her registered and whatnot um because we have rules but it was it's it's crazy that so many cases are out there like that, but as far as the cases we work now and Have worked for the past 25 years. Um, You know, we try to bring whatever we can to the table, whether it's active search, whether it's awareness campaigns, whether it's just reintroducing them because they never were introduced, if you will. And so we just come up with a way to bring it back to and kind of introduce them. And you know, and and uh, that's why we do the the on the road to remember tour, and we have a national conference that we host every year. You know, all these efforts that we do outside of, of active searching is just trying to bring forth some kind of awareness, bring some forth some kind of tip on um, anything that we can do to help help investigators maybe get that one lead they need or get that additional piece of information that they can put together with other things that they know.
1: So would you have any general advice for listeners of our podcast or any other true crime podcasts? um, in, in how to go about helping the most effective way?
2: Well, awareness is the number one key. Um, when somebody gets missing and it's exhausting for families, um, and especially over long-term time, you know, they, they just get tired. So they need the support of their communities. They need support of other people to take up the torch, if you will, and help them. Um, but awareness is the number one key, that that constant pressure is like, here, this person's still missing. We're still seeking answers. You know, eventually somebody will get a conscience. Eventually somebody will sit down and really think about what might be important that they should share. Um, Eventually somebody will screw up and say, you know, the wrong thing or tell somebody something that needs to be reported. Um, You know, there's pretty much there's always information based in where the person first became missing that people don't think is important and it's law enforcement you know try to get those answers but in the end of the day they're in charge of your case they have to put these pieces together legally so it stands up in court they have to be any action they do make sure it's legally done so cases don't get thrown out if anyone is ever brought to justice so it's you know they work against a lot too you know a lot of law enforcement if you take them off to the side they're like I would love to do that, but I can't. You know, I have to run that through my investigator or my, you know, in charge person. I have to, you know, the law says we can't do this. We have to do it this way or whatever. So communication is number one with the awareness campaign. You know, people, families go out there and they'll do set rewards and they don't even tell their detective. Well, now the detective's getting all these calls in and they're like, what's going on here? You know, let's let everybody get on the same page, let's everybody get on the same team because everybody's working towards the same thing is to bring resolve. Um, So awareness offers the ability for families to get more support, but it also brings forth tips and information and it brings that person back out to the community. I mean, it might be a salesperson that drove through that area that might know something and now they're back six months later and they just happen to see an event. You just never know who you can reach out. And yes, social media and all the media devices that we have nowadays are great communications, but the good old-fashioned getting out on the street and talking to people, most of your information still lies there.
1: We would like to go through the process of getting on your site and and registering the twins for possible help from your organization. So absolutely, um, we will work with the family to get that
2: done. All I can do, I tell people all the time, uh, you know, I can't promise to find your loved one, but I can promise to give you 100 percent of me. And that's a lot. Um, that's you know, lot. I have a lot of good ideas. Um, you know, our organization has some dedicated people and we have a lot of good resources and a lot of good intelligent. You know, a lot of people in our organization not only have suffered a missing person, but they've also retired or current working in all aspects of law enforcement. So, awesome. you know, we bring a lot of good ideas together. There's, you know, every every week. Something's presented to me that maybe I haven't thought of or encouraged me or inspired me to think of something more. So, you know, that's just the way the organization works. You know, we're not people aren't file numbers, they're names and faces. And um, you know, and my mind is steady like Google. You know, you can I can see a picture and I'll immediately tell you, Oh yeah, you know, Brunswick, Georgia, blah, 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 you know.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> um, and your board of directors looks like it's filled with all different types of people, which is what is singular to me about your organization. I see tons of organizations. Sometimes they represent law enforcement. Sometimes they represent the family. Yours seems to blend from so many different areas. And I think that's what makes it so dynamic. And, uh,
2: you know, well, and we, we've actually, uh, you know, quite a few years ago, we established our state outreach coordinator program, which is very diverse. I mean, we, you know, I have uh, from Spanish to French to Russian to you name it, different languages that can be spoke, um, different people that can read different languages, um, you know, people that have worked in the scientific field, law enforcement, you know, engineering, you know, you name it. I, I've got probably one of everything there and right now we have 60 plus state directors. They go through a lot of training and they're the extension of us. Um, I have, have, you know, a few in Georgia, they are the extension of us. And and it's a constant program. We're trying to build constantly because, you know, I personally cannot be everywhere all the time. So I've just, you know, we just want to grow and to be more help on the ground. And, you know, we can't certainly, you know, um, house every case, you know, across America every day, all day long. Um, Nobody can. That's why they have different counties, different law enforcement, different agencies. But the cases that we do get, we try to put 100% in all the time and try to think of ways to bring them a resolve. And sometimes it takes years and -hmm. people aren't willing to, even organizations aren't willing to give that much into something. And, but I am, you know, I, if it takes me, I've been, some of my families, I've I got when the case was 10 years old and I've been with them 10 years, trying Mm. to bring a resolve, you know, trying to, you know, and and there's been movement and there's been things that weren't there before. And, you know, we've conducted searches, you know, we've, you know, whatever it takes to try to, because you can't find anything without looking for it, but you've got to get to that place to first look. Mm. And so all of these things have to be important when you're thinking about, you can't just search every single road, you know, you've got to try to see what the case needs, And try to build on that to present it back out so you can get what you want. And that's ultimately information to law enforcement so we can get to the next place to search.
1: I just appreciate so much you talking to us. I think it's going to be really inspiring for our listeners who have the passion and maybe even the energy, but just aren't really sure in what direction to go.
2: Well, I appreciate that. Everybody can volunteer. There's something for everyone. And everybody can contribute. So there's something for for everybody. You know, people, you know, they just, they need, if they want to help, they need to find a way to get involved in in whatever their local community is, whatever their passion is Mm -hmm. in volunteerism, because that's where you're going to, it's going to open up other doors where you can learn more and get trained and go as far as you want, to be honest with you.
1: And that's where it starts. It starts by Mm -hmm. putting in the effort to volunteer.
2: Yeah. We get interns all the time and I see them, you know, branch out from, you know, criminal justice, creative writing, you know, um, marketing. We get, you know, interns from all those factors and I see them branching out and some of them change mid-course. You know, they were wanting to do, you know, um, law enforcement. Then they're like, no, I'd rather go into, you know, solving these crimes forensically. So, you know, they take a few more years in college. And Hmm. so I've seen it all, you know, but that inspires me because it's like, you know, they come here and they they find their direction. They find they hear all the sad stories, they hear all the injustice. And some of them end up in attorneys. Some of them end up, you know, going different ways because of the exposure of how crazy this world, the missing person world is behind the scenes. Because <laughs> you're never gonna get that if you don't get in it. Right. <laughs> you're never gonna get it.
1: And you yourself mm-hmm. became a dog handler, which I think is the greatest yes. thing I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> because I was tired of, you know, Relying on other people to do my searches and and you know there's don't get me wrong there's tons of great and professional canine people out there but some of the ones I was exposed to early on in my first couple of years you know I would take them at face value I didn't understand the concept of the certifications and all these other things and the training and whatnot so if somebody wanted to help yeah sure bring your dog you know and uh you know but these are all things I had to learn because nobody would help you know really. Um, back in the day when I started Q, um, you know, I wrote letters, you know, introducing myself thinking the whole world was going to embrace me in the missing person world. Yeah, nada, (laughs) that didn't happen (laughs) after getting burned quite a few times, you know, I, I quit trusting people and then I had to open back up and say, you know, I, I've got to trust the people that I'm seeing, not hearing, seeing, doing the right thing. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so that's, you know, I kind of built that in my own mind that, you can tell me all you want all day long that you're a good person. I want to see it. Once I see you in action, once I see what you're doing and, and you inspire me, then I'll listen to you. But until then, yeah, I'll, I'll Google it.
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, like when I think of you, I ser- you are like the greatest example of DIY I have ever seen. You don't see uh-huh. it in front of you. OK, we'll go out and make it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And I mean, I can't tell you I've came from days of you know cutting clip art and pasting it and copying and making brochures, you know uh, down to learning computers and and every family, every relationship, every volunteer has taught me good or bad lessons, you know, so it's like you just keep you know building off of that and if I got discouraged every time off of people that said, "Oh, you're never going to get people on the weekends to travel all over for free on their own dime and go and help these people and so forth. And, you know, and if I'd have listened to that kind of mess when I started out, cause I believed it could be done. And I think when you believe in something strong enough, I think people believe in it too. Mm-hmm. And that's what most people have told me. It's like, you know, you don't hardly ever see a founder of an organization out going through the same swamp. Their volunteers are or doing the same dirty work the volunteers are. Not only
1: that, but not taking a paycheck, which is an, important issue that people don't often think of when you're in a helping profession, you are helping people. They don't always think about the ethics of whether you should be taking the money. It's just putting your money where your mouth is.
2: Well, I didn't start Q for a job, if you will, or for funding. Um, I started Q because I wanted to help people and I wanted a movement. You know, I wanted people to join me in, what I was doing and, and it kind of got thrown at me actually. Um, you know, I was always, always helping in one capacity or another. i volunteered, sat on boards. I was always at the schools, um, cause I felt that was important for my kids. But when Q, you know, when before Q was formulated, the missing person, you know, came into my life, it was, um, not expected. And, um, and then it brought back a lot of memories and it just kind of all came together. So, um, you know, I just, if you believe in something and I tell my kids that all the time and I tell people that I care about and people I talk to, you know, if you believe in something strong enough, you know, it can work. You just, but you have to be the person to figure it out and make Mm -hmm. it happen. Like stuff don't happen just because you pray. Mm -hmm. Pray is that faith that God's going to be there to guide you when you fall because you are going to fall. Um, but you got to do something to fall. Mm -hmm. So, you know, (laughs) it's, kind of like it all just comes back to you know old school you know hard work pays off and and um you know I like I said I'm not saving the world I'm we're putting a little bit of a dent but it's more than what most have done and um oh yeah as far as you know and and that's all we can do you know do what we can in a day took me a lot of years to, to, to live by that because I thought, you know, I was 24 hours a day. I'm gonna kill myself doing this. Mm-hmm. And then I had to say, I'm a volunteer, you know, and I've got to, you know, I've given my life to this cause. Um, but I have to accept that what I've done today is enough for today. And then I'll start back again tomorrow.
0: Special thanks to Monica Kaysen for joining us for this series. You can find out more about Q in the link in our show notes. We'd like to thank all the listeners who've taken the time to support our sponsors, leave us reviews, or support our show directly on Patreon. We couldn't do it without you. Special thanks to Angie Dodd. The Fall Line is created by Laura Norton and Brooke Hargrove and is produced and mastered by Maura Curry.